Center. Uh, let me just say this. God, just, we lost the building in Holly, but we won't lose the next one. Yeah. We're going back to Holly. Somebody say amen. amen. So I, I just want to put that out there too. Like, don't think, oh, that's sad. Look, no, that's temporarily sad, but eternally it's going to be awesome. So um, I, just a weird kind of, before we get started, let me just say something to you. Um, the last season, and I don't know if season is a month, but it's, it's been at least a month, uh, probably more like three or four months. It's hard, to, it's hard to remember sometimes. And I'm not saying like raise your hand, but I will tell you this, that, that we, whether you know it or not or aware of it or not, there's been an attack that, that has been kind of coming at us, it seems like, from various directions and various ways. I know there's that, kind of the standard encouragement, well, the devil, you know, must be after you because you're doing something right. But how many of you know like when your thumb's stuck in the door of the car, that's not very encouraging? It's just kind of like, oh, hey, yeah, praise God, this hurts, you know. Um, and and I, I just thought before we got started this morning, I'd say this, that there's a difference between an attack and, and a distraction. They, they may feel the same in the moment, but I promise you they're not. One, a distraction wants your attention, and if you give it to it, you've lost the battle. An attack, um, if you don't give it your attention, you've lost the battle. And it may seem the same sometimes. So what do we, what do, we do when we're attacked? What do we do when we're distracted? It's the same thing. We, we find the presence of the Lord. We get deep into that presence, and we tell him how good he is. And in doing that, we're in this position now to proclaim some things. How many of you guys know if it has flesh and blood, it's not your enemy? So, ah, you don't know my mother-in-law. Now, wait. <laughs> we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I'm not saying there aren't things inside of people that, that, that aren't um, worthy of fighting, but I am saying this. In the end, Jesus hopes everybody wins, right? He's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. So if it has flesh and blood, we don't want to defeat that. We don't want to, we don't want to defeat that on social media. We don't want to defeat that in person. We don't want to defeat that around the dinner table. We want to defeat lies. We want to defeat devils. We want to defeat sickness, disease, bondage, but we don't want to defeat people. Somebody say amen, right? Paul the apostle was once Saul the annihilator of the church. I'm so glad there were people praying for Saul so he could become Paul, Amen. But I just would say this to you. Um, I, I feel like we are getting ready um, for this not to be abnormal, but maybe a little bit more normal in the days to come. Yeah. I, I think that when darkness gets darker, light becomes more pronounced. In a crowd of bowing people, those who will stand up will certainly stand out. And uh, what was once considered virtuous is now considered evil. What was once considered evil is now considered virtuous. And those who would cling to a biblical narrative of mankind and doctrinally for morality and love and so forth. How many understand, I don't think the easiest days are in front of Jesus' church in America. I think maybe some of the more difficult days. And if you read Bible prophecy, you guys would recognize, like, depending on your interpretation of that prophecy, things will get worse before they get ultimately awesome. We still, we still tracking? So you're like, oh, this is really encouraging. Jim, thanks so much. Um, I feel great. We're under attack. And things will get worse. I'm glad I came to church today and invited my mother-in-law, you know, as if things weren't bad enough. I, I would just say this. This is, a, this is a prelude to the message this morning. We're going to be talking for the next three weeks about mercy. Because I think one of the things that we have to be very careful of, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, Jesus says, the love of most will grow cold. As things kind of come to their expiration date of our lives, of seasons, or of the world itself, there's a tendency to want to get harder because it got harder. And so if it gets harder, then I have to get harder so I'm not hurt by it. It's a callus, but instead of it being on our hands or on our feet, it's on our soul. And I think mercy is that, that powerful reset button that costs you just about everything 
when you press it. But there's only one thing that will cost you more than mercy, and that's being unmerciful. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about getting ready for 2023. Say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's an awesome thing. How many guys believe God's not done doing cool stuff? Got some of the greatest miracles God's ever going to do. We see in Scripture, they haven't happened yet. They might happen in our lifetime. The last nationality, the last, the last ethos or ethnos, the, the last people group to hear the gospel may be legitimately in my lifetime, which is pretty exciting that the last people group would be reached with the gospel. It's been a 2,000-year you know, trek into the wilderness, and we're getting close to the end as, as versions of the Bible are being translated into various closing languages. It's really extraordinary, the days in which we live. But I want us, I want us to keep in mind this. God never wants us to take the bad things of yesterday into tomorrow. And if I see anything that's crippling our ability to love as Jesus would have us love, it's that we've been hurt by people like the people in front of us, by people behind us. So I, I, I want to trust you with the last mammal, the last friend I had, the last romantic relationship, the last boss, the last elected politician hurt me. Therefore, I'm going to close. I'm not going to trust. Some of you guys know we're in a real deficit of trust in our culture right now. We don't trust the media. We don't trust the government. We don't trust the local police department. We, we, don't, we don't trust the post office. We don't trust Twitter. Maybe we trust Twitter a little more than we did a couple of months ago. Maybe we don't. Maybe we trust it less, right? But we're in a real... So what do we trust? And I, I think it's one of the reasons, like, if I can't trust them, then my world gets smaller. I can't trust that, then my world gets smaller. I can't trust these, my world gets smaller. Pretty soon, if you're not careful, all you trust is you. And, and God has a heart for the world not just for you in it. He does have a heart for you in it, but he has a purpose for you in the world. If God's purpose was to take you to heaven, then the moment you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been evaporated into eternity. So if you're still here, there's a reason for you being here. And I believe that mercy is going to play a crucial role as we prepare our dreams for 2023. What happens is we've been hurt in 2022 and before, and if we don't deal with that hurt, with that betrayal, with that accusation, with that I'm trying to think of the other things. With that injustice, with that, uh, these are, I mean, I have, I have instances, specific instances over the last few months in mind were, were accusations that were ridiculous, but we got to play by a certain set of rules and injustices that were horrifying and, I mean, really screwed up with our heads. I'm I really messed with our perspectives of life. I'm sorry. You know, as I say, screw your heads in church. Um, and, and the way out of those things is not to get harder and smaller. The way with that is to be more generous and more merciful. Because we have a world to love. And we can't reach it if we don't love it. Writing a check doesn't reach the world. Writing a check and going to the world reaches the world. Just saying a prayer doesn't reach the world. It's part of it. Just like giving is. Just like, but, but we have to go there and be who Jesus wants us to be once we get there. So um, in Exodus chapter 12, get your Bibles and you can kind of read this on your own, but Exodus chapter 12, there's this beautiful symbolism. It's not the first Passover, but, it, but it's, it's one recently, like it's the next year. And God's announcing through Moses that there's, there's going to be this annual festival. The Passover was a thing, but we're going to celebrate the thing every year. For, for the rest of time, if you're, if you're my people, we're going to celebrate this. And one of the things they did was they removed all yeast. How many of you guys remember the unleavened bread, the Passover bread? We have communion wafers today that have no yeast in it. So what's, what's up? Why does God hate yeast? God doesn't hate yeast. But once a year, for a week, he says, I, I want you to remove a staple from your diet, from your diet. I, I, I don't want it to be there anymore. Yeast has an effect. Yeast is a living organism, as I understand it. I'm not a yeast expert, um, but I am a bread expert, 
on the consuming end of bread. I know what I like, and I know what I don't. And uh, what yeast does is it comes in, it's a living organism, and it eats the carbohydrates in the wheat, or whatever that, that grain is, barley, whatever it is. And when it does, it does what we all do after a good meal. And gases are given off from the yeast that actually inflate the bread. That's right. Raised bread is yeast farts. Thank you for being here today and getting that revelation. Take that home with you. Put it in your Christmas cards. Amen. But uh, it raises up. So this is what the symbolism is. Anything that causes decay, fermentation, you know, something good to be consumed, so something gaseous. Like, I, I want this to be real. And so I want it all gone for one week before this, this Passover feast. I want you not only to not eat bread with yeast in it, which probably has some nutritional value to it, but also I want you to sweep the yeast from your house. Now, today in Orthodox Judaism, um, this is what they do. You might notice he has a candle in one hand, a feather in the other, and a crumb of bread on the ground. You guys see that? Say, so I would, Jim, if you weren't standing directly between me and the Jewish rabbi guy, right? Um, what he's doing is this. On the night before Passover, the father of the house, the patriarch, will grab his children. I think it's, yes, children are there as well. And the mother and father have hidden little pieces of bread that have yeast in it around the home. And they take a feather and they take a candle. With the candle, they illuminate every corner of their house. And if they find bread, they take the feather and they, they put it into a wooden spoon. They take it outside and they burn it to ash. You say, well, that's fascinating and somehow meaningless. Can we get back to yeast farts? No. What I'm saying is this. What's happening is we're not taking into the new year, the new life, we're out of slavery, that's behind us, this is in front of us, we're not taking anything that corrupted from the old year into the new year. Anything that caused that, that fermentation, anything that caused that reaction, anything that, anything that eats the good stuff and lets off bad stuff, it's good in bread, but it's not good in souls. It's not good in spirits. It's not good in marriages. It's not good in families. It's not good in communities. It's not good in churches. And so once a year, my people, God says through Moses, Exodus chapter 12, you're to to take the feather of the Holy Spirit and the candle of the word of God. And that word of God is going to illuminate things in places, dark places, places we don't go to very often. I don't walk to the corners of my home and inspect it. I have a bulldog. She does that. If there's food there, she deals with it. I have a living Roomba. Same shape, too. She just hoovers the whole house every once in a while with that little flat nose of hers, right? So, but I want you to go and I want you to find things that, that have been discarded, left behind, but they have yeast in them. I, I want you to start after the Passover with, without any remnant of last year's yeast. Does this make sense? And so this is what they do. So, um, and why did they have to do this? Well, it was hard. I mean, that 400 years, of, I know that's the cartoon version, but I, the ones that I found that looked real looked too real. I've already, you know, said fart three times, so I, I can't have graphic pictures for your kids and say a word you're not allowed to say inside your home. So, I mean, they're getting beat. They're getting bullied. Look at the fear on their faces. They, they've been so desperately hurt for so long. And then God just said, I, you need a line that separates all your yesterdays from all your tomorrows. I, I, need, I need the Passover to be celebrated annually. I need a regular restart because if, if the human mind, hear me, and if the human heart, and if the human soul in our relationships with one another, whether it's national, global, or the most intimate relationships of parent and child, or husband and wife, if there isn't a moment where there's a restart, that which is rotten will pervade everything that comes to follow. And so I want you to have this time. Understand this, guys. God is the God of the restart. God's the God of the new beginning. Every 49 years, called the year of Jubilee, everything, 
once in everybody's lifetime, everything that was lost in a gambling thing, everything that was lost to bad business or drought, whatever property was lost during 49 years in the 49th year, it's all reverted back to the original owner. Everybody gets a fresh, clean slate once in their lifetime according to Hebrew law. But that's not just it. But there's also a Sabbath year. So every seven years, there was a year without work, and, and God would bless the six years harvest, and, and there was a new start. He starts, you know, one, two, three, five, six, seven, one. But not just that. There were 12 months based on the moon and the lunar calendar. Every 28 days, there's this thing that happens again and again and again, and we noticed it as God created it, and we said there's a new month, and there's a new year. And there's a new week every seven days that there's four sevens makes the 28-day month. Are you guys still here? You getting this? So who created all that stuff? God created all that stuff. Because there are times when I need a tomorrow different from today. There's times where a next year has to be different than last year. I mean, as you remember, 2020 vision is going to be great. Then we got punched in the eyes and we couldn't see for two years. Right? I lost my 2020 vision. Actually, I got it back, but it's surgery. It's a miracle to me. Leave me alone. I'm just simply saying this, like, please hear me. God is all about you getting a clean slate every time you need it. When you woke up this morning, there's a scripture that says God's mercies are renewed when? Everybody know? Every morning. That fresh sunrise is a new promise. All the grace of God, all the mercy of God that was needed to be exercised to get us this far, you get a brand new dose of mercy every morning when the sun comes up. How many of you guys are glad? And I'm just saying this, not only that, but you know, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, right? He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how often is that? Every time we confess our sins. So throughout the day, we can get a fresh start. Throughout the week, we can get a fresh start. The month, the year, the, the years, the, the decades. God is the God who created the fresh start. God made his people free on the outside and got them out of Egypt. But there's a mechanism that's on the inside that keeps us free. And that, that mechanism, the only mechanism that's greater than the sins of men against one another is the decision of mercy. Now, this is where it always gets quiet. And we're going to be talking about this for a month, so I'm not going to try to get it all in right now. But, but I want you to hear me. Mercy is when you give somebody what they don't deserve. They, they, they hit you in the face. Well, if your enemy strikes you on one cheek, what do you do? Well, reflexively, you, know, you should have blocked it and countered with the left. But, but if your enemy strikes you, bam, what does Jesus tell us to do? Offer him what? <laughs> Dude, I don't. <laughs> I only got two. What, what am I supposed to do here? And, and I, think, I think the point I'm trying to make is this. Jesus tells us another way to break the cycle of vengeance. Hatfields and McCoys don't have to be Hatfields and McCoys. How do we stop the cycle of vengeance and vengeance and justice and justice and injustice and injustice? It's through this element of mercy that costs the forgiver and ends the stupidity once and for all. Keeping records of wrong is forbidden. Why? Because it pollutes like yeast the soul of the one who's unforgiving. And I'll say it again and again. Forgiving is hard. But not forgiving has a cost and we can't ignore it. It's a cost to our soul. Jesus is going to tell us the cost to our eternity. It's a cost in every relationship where there's something that still stands between you and I or each other or us and them, whoever them may be. Jesus is so absolute about forgiving and I want to show you something in the Lord's Prayer. This, this radical, by the way, I know that especially in a, a St. John's uh, environment here, the Catholic Church, a lot, of, a lot of Catholics, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys were raised Catholic or have great Catholic influence in your life? I see your hand. Okay. So the Lord's Prayer is nothing new to you, right? 
And the Hail Mary prayer is nothing new to you. But, but if we're not careful, we'll ignore the fact that most of the Lord's prayer is brand new material that was so revolutionary when Jesus said it that those who heard were probably shocked by what he said. He, he starts by saying this. I'm sorry, without forgiveness, every evil deed done remains in our hearts for the rest of our lives. I can't skip over that. How many of you guys see that? If I don't forgive you, I may never see you again, but I won't trust anybody that looks like you, smells like you, acts like you, or has your name. How many of you guys, when it came time to name your kid, you couldn't name him like Fred? Why? Because you knew somebody in, in third grade named Fred used to pick his nose and eat it. And you just couldn't get rid of I can't name my kid. I'll, I'll see a booger eater every time I look at the, my own kid. I, how many of you guys know, like a friend of mine, his name is Carl Vaters, and he named his cat Darth Vaters so that his children could not name his grandchildren Darth Vaters. Because I know if it's the family cat, they'll never name my grandkids that. So anyway, it stays there. That's what I'm trying to say. This is the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, stop. There's, there's like 420,000 individual words in the Old Testament. Like 24,000 words are used repeatedly, 420,000 times. 13 of them. 420,000, 13 of them are calling God by any paternal name. 13. It's a new thought. Jesus, when you pray, stuff happens. When we pray, it bounces off the walls and nothing happens. So what's going on here? Would you teach us how to pray? Sure, let's start. Our Father, er, your, our what? Well, yeah, I, I understand this. Your relationship with God is not just Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai or these other descriptive names or unspeakable holy names. There's, there's a paternal relationship. God wants to be your, your Father, how many of you guys understand? That's a revolutionary teaching already. If he just said, our Father, and stopped, he would have changed the world. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The worship of God is everywhere, right? Then he says another radical statement. Your kingdom, what? Your will be done on as it is in... Stop. That's not right. In heaven, nobody's walking around with a limp and a cough, and nobody's walking around with one eye, and no one's walking around with, you know, there's, there's like everything is healed in heaven, and you're saying you want heaven to come to earth. No, no, you don't understand, Jesus. We're supposed to be so good that someday we deserve to go there and receive that as our reward, not you're so good that you're going to bring that here, and that is our assignment. But Jesus said that, that's, you asked me to teach you how to pray, so this is how you pray. Our Father, oh, okay, we'll get used to that. Let, let, let the substance of the domain of the king come into the darkness of this earth until this earth looks just like heaven. Uh, righty? And then after lunch, what should we do? Like, I mean, that's a huge assignment, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Stop. It's an agrarian society that harvests once per year. And he's going back to the symbolism of walking through the wilderness for 40 years where God every day gives them only what they need. I want to be so close to you that tomorrow morning's hunger reminds me of my need for my God. <laughs> yeah, other than that, I'm going to say this is a radical teaching. Daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Now, of all the things that are radical in that prayer, Jesus only comes back to one thing. Why would Jesus come back to the one thing? Because everything else I can wrap my head around, but this one sounds impossible. Bringing heaven to earth, okay, I'll try. 
Father, I, I'm, I'm going to work on that in my heart, in my mind, in my verb, I'm, you know, the way I think, the way I see him, the way I think he sees me. I've always believed in God, but now I've got to believe that he believes in me. Like a father believes in a son, this is really hard, but I'm going to try. What is the one thing Jesus comes back to is this. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, for if we, give, if we forgive other people their sins when they sin against us, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your sins. Look at the next verse. But if you do not forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Will, the will of God, not. The negative, I will not. If you will not, I will not. Why is unforgiveness so unforgivable? Why is Jesus so insistent that after this radical prayer, the only thing he feels a need to come back to is this? How many of you guys, it's quiet in here. You okay? It usually is. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit and people shout and holler. We talk about forgiveness and people like wish they'd have gone to another church today. But let me tell you something. What's, if you've ever felt the coldness in your heart between your heart and God's heart, I would ask, what is separating the fire of God from the flesh of your heart? And I'm not saying every time it's this, but how many of you understand, if this stands in your heart, it is opposing the fire of God. It's, 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 a, it's an anti-will. You have a will, I have a will, and they're opposed to one another. You are welcome in my life as long as you make me feel goosebumps and, and you make me happy and you buy me a Mercedes for Christmas and I get a puppy. They're on the puppy. But if you want me to forgive people that have hurt me, I'm sorry. I'm not, I, I trust you, but not that much. I trust you to save me, but don't meddle in the affairs of my life, Lord. So why is God so insistent on moving this? I... Galatians 5.1, and maybe it's a hint. It's for freedom. Everybody say freedom. That'd be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? Write that down, baby. Freedom. Maybe there's like a center, a place where we could just come together. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Come on, man. Brace yourself. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke that leads you back to slavery. Um, ah, gee, okay. So two statements that are true and, and will seem contradictory. I have two dads. That's not the statement, by the way. I have a biological dad who's my, my bio dad. He and my mom, you know, together, birth, shazam, right? And, and, and like first, second grade, my parents got divorced, and a man named David Olson came into my life, and he's the, he's the man who raised me. So when I say I have two dads, I, I'm, it, it may sound like <laughs> we are way ahead of the culture, but that's, that's, not what I, that's not what it means. So I have a bio dad, and I have a, what do you call him, maybe a soul dad or a heart dad? the man who raised me and the man who gave me life. And I owe them both greatly. My, my bio dad and I loved each other. It's a true statement. Second statement, we, we also didn't care for one another. Does that make sense to you or no? It, maybe it's my family's counting. We loved each other. You need a kidney, a dull rusty spoon. I'll dig it out and hand it to you. But I don't want to spend time with you. I don't like you and you don't like me. And if it wasn't for this whole, we share the same last name and DNA, I wouldn't have this obligation but we love each other, but we don't like each other. He's an atheist. I got saved at a rock concert. Can you see some issues beginning? Um, my, my mother walks in faith in Christ. My stepfather walked in faith with Christ for his whole life. My, my father felt like maybe she chose that over him, and it just hardened him. He was already hard. But it, it just, it's just hard. He was an engineer. If you know an engineer, you're married to an engineer, then I don't really need to say anything else. But if you're, if you're not, then, you, you, you know, like his job was to find fault. And he was really good at it. And he drove all of us away. And I love my dad. To the day he died, I love my dad, right? But everyone was treated 
according to the list of failures and disappointments that he had collected through the years about your life. You can understand as a young boy, it's a little bit hard. Hey, Dad, you see that? Yeah, but you could have done this and done it better. As a teenager, hey, Dad, did you see that? Yeah, but if, you know, I, when I was your age, I was doing twice that. And by the time you kind of get out of it, you're like, hey, Dad, uh, how's the weather? What'd you have for lunch today? Is my obligation to spend any time with you over with now? <laughs> Can I go back? Well, it's been eight minutes. It's been good talking with you. <laughs> I'll see you next Christmas, you know. Um, my dad seldom ever smiled because he was always scrutinizing those that were around him. Can I, I hope I'm not dishonoring my father. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is, I don't know where he got these handicaps. These were wounds that went unresolved in his life. And those wounds were going to be passed on as an inheritance, except my heavenly father and my, my non-bio dad loved me to be a, a better man than that, if that makes sense, right? This is a picture of my dad. It's the only picture I have in my possession of him smiling. And there's a reason he's smiling. And piano guy, join me if you would. The reason that he is smiling is that in that picture, he's in the, the late stages of Alzheimer's. You say, okay. And that made him happy. Well, he didn't know. He didn't know. It's funny. My stepmother had profound hearing loss and didn't know it. He had profound Alzheimer's and didn't know it. So I'd say, I go for a visit. And I'd say, Dad, how's it going? Oh, good, good. What'd you have for breakfast today? I don't know. Doris, what'd I have for breakfast today? She'd say, what? And he'd look back at me and he'd look at her and said, I don't remember. They look back at me, so that was kind of like, okay, don't ask anybody anything. I'll just talk. And, but what's funny is, is without the mechanism of forgiveness, Alzheimer's began to steal his most recent memories and move backwards. Does this make sense? So let's, let's take the, the greatest betrayal between he and I, that, that I, I chose to live with my mom. I chose Jesus. I chose to be like my stepfather, that I named my sons after my stepfather and not my father. But I understand that when, when Alzheimer's took those memories, those offenses were no longer there. And I watched his my scowling, always on inspection, drill sergeant, unpleasable father, suddenly started to kind of relax his sphincter just a little bit. And he'd ask questions like, how are you? And I'd answer. Then he'd ask questions like, who are you? And I'd answer, we go feed the ducks we take a loaf of bread right in front of the sign that said, do not feed the ducks. We'd feed the ducks because he wouldn't remember and I don't care. And the ducks would come up and he'd feed them and he'd look at me as a complete stranger. And, and I remember, I remember as, it, as it regressed more and more, this is the day we went to, uh, they have Maurice's Salads, babe. What's the name of that store? Is it Hudson's? Macy's now? Yeah, Hudson's, yeah. But there's a, in Novi, there's a, and he had a Maurice's Salad and it was his favorite. I took him up there and we had a salad, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and I snapped that picture. You know why he's smiling at me there? Because there's no list that was left. There's no disappointments. There's no history. I was the nice kid across the table, putting the salad, uh, or the dressing on his salad and mixing it up for him. And my dad and I became friends in the last months of his life because he forgot who I was and he forgot who he was and he forgot all the betrayals and all the perceived slights and all the dishonors that added up in a list that had no mechanism for ever being resolved and by the time it was done it was just him and me as uh, his funeral came I, I went and spoke at his funeral a little bit you know and, and his friends were there in a, in a nursing home 90% of your friends are women 
My great-grandmother, when she was 95, had an 85-year-old boyfriend. And my, my mom said to her, Grandma, you ain't going after the younger guys. And she said, Sweetheart, in my age, there are no older guys. <laughs> but they came out one after the other, unbeknownst to the other ones. One after, your, your dad was such a kind man. He was such a gentleman. He was so much fun. He, he always had a smile on his face, always had a positive word. I'm like, you want to look in the box and go, that, my dad? That guy? I guess it was an urn, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I didn't know that guy, but I met him in the last three, four months of his life. And the reason suddenly, and I just want you to hear me, he was in there the whole time, but he had no mechanism to let it go. No mechanism to make it okay. No mechanism to say do-over. No, no mechanism to say fresh start. There was no candle and there was no feather for him to just sweep it away and burn it and get rid of it. And so he carried it and he carried it and he carried it from year after year, decade after decade, until he was so weighed down that nobody got through that crust. But as he began to lose it because of the disease, he began to gain peace. And I want you to know something. I believe that for many of us, not all of us, but many of us, there's a you inside of you that people haven't seen in a long time because you're making the people in front of you pay for the people who offended you before them. There's relationships that have been broken and they're always going to be broken unless somebody stops the insanity and turns the other cheek. As we get ready for 2023, listen to me. I don't want you to take the attacks. I don't want you to take the distractions. I don't want you to take the dilemmas. I don't, I, I'm just simply saying this. Forgiveness is hard, yes, but there's something harder than forgiveness. And that's what's going to happen to you is if you don't forgive, it is harder. I understand the logic of protecting yourself. I understand the logic. Jim, this isn't years ago. This is happening today in my home. And we're going to get to that in weeks to come. I'm not going to deal with that right now. But what do I do when it's not an offense? It's offenses in which I live currently. It's not a boss I had 10 years ago. It's this dictator that I have right now. It's not a marriage I came from. It's the marriage I'm in. It's not the kid that that has grown up and now we say we love each other. It's the kid that won't call me back. What do we do with that? I I, will get into that, but I want you to know the answer will not change. You press this costly button that love compels and you say, I choose not to treat you according to your deeds because he chose not to treat me according to mine. And I cannot receive such great forgiveness Without, without, if he pressed that button at the cost that it cost him, who am I not to press the button to forgive you? If you forgave me all of this, Lord, all of this, and then someone cuts me off in traffic, and I'm going to take that to my grave. I know it's an extreme example, but you know what I'm talking about. Walk around like everybody owes us something. Listen, it, you say, I'm not strong enough to do this. I want you to know something. It's not you versus unforgiveness. It's, it's choosing and trusting God over the unforgiveness that wants your faith that wants your trust. It's being free over choosing slavery. It's, it's agreeing with the one who paid all to forgive all. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about mercy. And I wish, I wish this world were a safer place. And I wish you hadn't been hurt. And I wish I hadn't been hurt. And I, I cannot, I don't have a time machine. And, and if I had a time machine, I went back and prevented that one hurt. How many of you guys know somebody else would have hurt you eventually anyway? The most dangerous thing on this planet is me and you. Ask any deer sitting on anybody's wall. Ask any lion. Ask any trophy. Ask any fish. Ask any whale. The dinosaurs were alive today. There'd be one hanging on Chris Dickerson's wall. This is my T-Rex room. Let me show it to you. He'd find some dog that could chase it down, make it freeze, and fly away so he could shoot it in the back of the head. It's just, 
We're conquerors. So what do we do when a bunch of warriors get into a room? Well, we hurt each other. What do we do when that happens? We turn to the one who defeated it all and gives us peace. So, Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for this congregation right now. Oh, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. So, it's just, what do we do when there's an attack? An attack that comes from the inside. An attack that comes from friends. An attack that comes from family members. An attack that comes from forces outside of our control. What do we do with that attack? How do we... Do, do we, does it train our senses for war and we flinch every time there's a loud noise and we sit with our backs against the walls so no one can get up behind us, do we? What do we do? God, today I, I pray if we're good at anything, we're going to have to be good at this. Somehow love is a, is a key element in the conversion of billions. It's that which motivates us. It's that which compels us and constrains us is the love of Christ. So I pray, God, help us to receive that love with the conditions, if you will, that come with it. I cannot be a recipient of great mercy. You've made it clear. If I will not, then you will not. But if I will, you've made it clear that you will. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just do me a favor right now? Grab that feather. Grab that candle. And go searching in the corners of your own heart of your story, of your soul. And if you find a crumb, some of us it's not going to be a crumb, it's going to be a room filled with bread. (laughs) What do you do with it? It's the same thing, whether it's a crumb or it's a room filled with bread. You take it outside and you light a fire and you turn it to ash. You destroy it. What destroys bitterness? What destroys hatred? What destroys pain? What destroys the things that, that we would wrestle to forgive? What destroys it? This is, this is what destroys it. It's his love for you and what he's already done because he loves you. He's not a do-as-I-say God. He's a do-as-I-do God. He's not going to tell you to forgive and then be unforgiving If I have to forgive my enemy 70 times 7 every day for the same sin, how much more willing is God to do what he's commanded us to do? If unforgiveness has cursed your life for a long time, then then maybe I would just say this, like just take that feather. Maybe you don't need a feather and a spoon. Maybe you need a shovel and a pitchfork. But the principle's the same. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. And burn it in the fire of God. And let, let that, that new freshness, let that open the windows, man, of your soul. Let, some, let a breeze in. I, I don't trust that person. I don't blame you. Trust that's been broken has to be re-earned. But that doesn't mean I can't love the people as I'm learning how to trust them again. We're going to get into the, the nuances of this. But right here, right now, would you take the feather, take the spoon, take the candle. And if you find something in your soul, that someone else did to you that left a mark. Listen, if Jesus can't say amen to it, you need to get rid of it. Get it out. For his love, for his mercy, get it out. For the life that he has for you, get it out. For peace that you haven't felt in a long time, get it out. Forgive. I choose to relinquish my rights for justice. And I will entrust 
justice to the one who forgave me. I give you the right to smack them back or not. I give you the right to kill them or not. I give you the right. I, I, this is too heavy for me to carry, so I'm going to put it in the hands of the one who knows the right thing to do. As a recipient of mercy, I, I start by praying for mercy for those who've harmed me. But I will not carry this weight into 2023. I'm done. It's over. It's finished. The cross of Christ is all the example I need of the pain that it takes to forgive, and I will forgive regardless of the cost to my soul. Does it make it okay? Does it make it right? Doesn't let them get off the hook? It doesn't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I don't know what justice even looks like. I just know what revenge looks like. So God, in your mercy and in your wisdom, I give you all of this bread, all of this yeast. Oh, I just sweep it up and I get rid of it. It is yours. Burn it, Father. Burn it, burn it, burn it. Never to come back. I give it to you now. Listen, online, I feel like I'm talking to somebody online right now, which I don't, I don't normally do, but you, maybe you just turn this on. Maybe it's on the radio right now. You're driving down the street. Hear me. Do not take with you into the future the greatest pains of your past, or you cannot get to your future. Your future, it's, it's a dream that has to be dreamed without the nightmares you've experienced. It's a faith walk. And I realize this is costly and this is difficult. And I, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing this moment's difficulties. I'm telling you there is something that is harder. And that's you choosing not to do, not to trust, not to believe, not to forgive. When Jesus has made it abundantly clear of all the radical things he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, this is the most radical. But he came back to it because I believe it's one of the most important things. You're not going to bring heaven to earth without it. You're not going to have daily bread without it. You're you're not going to be hallowing his name when you're defying his will. This is the linchpin. This is what turns it for you. God, I forgive. Come on, say it with me right now. God, I forgive. I release. I relinquish. Vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is yours. The Lord says it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So we trust it. If vengeance is right, then the righteous one will have to do it because I will not. A delineating line. I'm talking to somebody's marriage right now. All your yesterdays. You cannot take yesterday's yeast into tomorrow. There has to be a line. And maybe if you reached over and grabbed your spouse's hand and just gave it a squeeze and said, I want a new, I want a fresh start. I want a clean slate. I want a new beginning. I don't want to put pressure on you. If you don't do that, like he didn't do it or she didn't do it. Like just I'm trying to create opportunities, not obligations or expectations. I just want to be especially gentle in this marriage area. But you you'd agree, right? The thing that's keeping you from a glorious future is an inglorious past. It's not that your dreamers don't work. It's that your dreams have been shattered, disappointed, you know, discouraged. And now it's like, ah, why even hope again? I'm telling you, there's hope because God's a God of hope, (laughs) you know. So all my yesterdays forgiven, all your yesterdays forgiven as well. Let's just talk about tomorrow now. Clean slates. Holy Spirit, move. Move in our hearts now. Move in our hearts. If you're here today and you're not right with God, I want to give you this last opportunity. My wife and I were in a constant argument, constant disagreement. You would understand our marriage would not be good. One of us would have to surrender. Both of us would have to die in some way to have a life together if that was our life. And the same thing's true with you and the Lord. He's already died. He's already given his life. He's already defeated death, hell, and the grave, and everything you're facing right now, he's defeated it all. 
He beat it up. He made a display of it. He showed the world how foolish it was, how petty it was, and he destroyed it. And now there's this moment where you, we either trust him and what he's done or we don't. But if you'll trust him and what he's done, who he is, that Jesus rose from the dead, man, that he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, that you have a purpose for which he created you, you have a destiny that now stands before you, but you can't get there because you want to. You get there because he empowers you and leads you and partners with you. It's a co-mission. It's not a mission. It's a co-mission. To accomplish your, all your dreams without him is to, to wake up one day to a, a lifeless nightmare. If you're not right with God, would you just get right with God right now? Tell him, God, I need you. I'm sorry. That, that button that I got to press to forgive other people, I pray you press that button towards me right now. Forgive me. Give me a fresh start, clean slate, new beginning, no past. You own my history and you project my destiny now. I give you my life as you've given me yours. Both Savior and now, Lord, I give it to you now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I love you. Would you stand to your feet, please, all over the room? I, I've, I felt like the Lord just wanted us to do a little altar ministry together. So I know the service has gone a little bit over. If you are here today and um, you'd like to talk more about this, you'd like some prayer concerning this or anything else, people with the ministry of prayer are coming forward. These would be our group leaders and sometimes our staff members, our, our uh, ministry academy graduates or students would be there. Um, I don't sure if my wife mentioned it or not, but if, if you're new here and we haven't met, I'm going to walk right back to that guest room to hang out. That's that back corner room there, and we'll hang out for a bit, and we can talk and grab a cup of coffee maybe. But how, how, many, guys, how many guys know forgiveness is hard, but it's, it's worth it? Come on. It's hard, but it's worth it. How many guys feel a little bit like, like you go to the chiropractor, it's like, bam, and it hurts, but then you can kind of move? I feel like that's what this morning was. Hey, forgiveness, bam, but now don't make me electrocute you. Come on. I mean, I'm sorry, stimulate the muscle tissue through, yeah. All right, well, Father, bless as we go. May we go in peace, the peace of the Lord that extends to us and through us to the peace of your people in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You need prayer, come on up. If not, I'll see you back in the back room or go get your kids and uh, watch these videos. They're pretty cool. They're coming up.